Good evening. Good evening. I seem, uh, I'm a little under the weather. I have some of the crud, so I'll be with a mic tonight. I feel really weird. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, Jamin's been kind of pushing this ball uh, probably for the last, like, few months, and I was just like, no, I can't do it. I, I enjoy speaking, and then, like, every Sunday night till like, Tuesday morning, I'm just hoarse and I can't talk. Uh, and that's just part of it. And he's like, no, dude, you, you really have to start using a mic. So I'm going to try this out. Uh, the thing for me, though, generationally, this will always and forever be a Britney Spears mic. Uh, I, I, everyone's like, yeah. So I think we're all of similar age. There's nothing I can do or change about that. I know there's a lot of just godly, godly men that pour over the word every day corporately uh, with this on their face, but I see and think like Britney Spears and maybe in sync at a certain time. So I'm going to try to get past my personal uh, problems and just speak and hopefully it will get uh, normal for us to use it. Until then, if you see me occasionally giggle at inappropriate times, it's because I'm resisting just like synchronized singing and dancing. <laughs> but I digress. So uh, good evening. I hope everyone had a great week. Um, I hope everyone's starting to get in the the, the, the mood of the season. It's, it's a finally what I call appropriate Christmas time. So I can look at you on the street and come up. I think we're really, we're at the very, very tip of it, but we're starting to get where I can say Merry Christmas and you not say, bro, chill out, dog. It's October. No, like we're, we're, we're starting to, you see uh, people changing, you see people acting a little nicer. Houses are getting decorated. There's, there's color uh, schemes going up inside houses. Trees are getting lit and it's just Christmas Time. And it's a really a magical time um, culturally. Whether you're a believer or not, you you find people trying to be the best versions of themselves right now. Um, and for a lot of people, whether they're believers or not, they don't really understand what that desire and that yearning is. They just know around December, after Thanksgiving, up into New Year's, I become a nicer version of myself. I become the person I really want to be 12 years or 12 months a year. But to this time, I'm just going to honk a little less, maybe cuss a little less, maybe uh argue with my wife a little less and there's just this there's this space that's there where they're, they're called and yearn to be something better because they're focusing on something bigger than themselves and as believers we have to always step into that space and speak truth that yes there is something pulling at your heart there is something pulling at your essence and it is calling you to be a better version of yourself because it's calling you to focus on something that's bigger than yourself and for us we call that Advent and I really love that we dedicated this year to really walk through the Advent calendar through an Advent teaching series. We're a young church. We're two years meeting corporately, and this is our first time where we said, hey, we're going to follow the Advent calendar. We're going to walk through the tenets of Advent. Last week, we talked about hope. We find hope in a lot of different things. We find hope in a lot of different um, places. But for us, we talked about how as Christians in 2017, this Advent season, we find hope in the middle of two realities. We look back in hope and and, and joy and peace where we've seen what Christ has done. Christ was uh, uh, promised and he was uh, born through Mary and lived a perfect life, died in according to scriptures and then conquered hell in the grave and rose again. So we, we sit in the middle where we look back and, and focus on the promises that God has fulfilled where at the same time we look forward at what God has promised he will continue to do. It's called the already not yet theology where look what already has come. Look what our Messiah has already done but also not yet. Look what he will 
do in the future. He has promised to come back and make all things new. And for right now, we find ourselves in the middle of those two realities. There's a desire, there's a yearning, there's a longing that fits in that. Paul, when he wrote, writes, when he wrote, Let's work past that. Paul, when he writes in Romans 8, really pins it best when he says, We wait, we eagerly long, we groan together, but we groan inwardly. We eagerly wait the anticipation of the second advent of Christ while having hope in that second advent because of the first advent. We talked last week about a lot of times we misplace our hope. We put our hope in all kinds of things that were never meant to hold our hope. We put our hope in people, in ideologies, in theologies, in governments, in in projected images. And all of those things at some point will let you down. They have let you down. They will let you down in the future. But we talked about the one thing that we should put our hope in is our sovereign God. Paul again writes it best. Uh, in Romans 15, 13, where he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We don't want you to look at the hope of God and say, That's cool. Man, that's awesome. We want you to abound in that hope. We want you to look at that hope and say, that is my sustaining force. I put my hope in the one thing that was intended for my hope, and that's sovereign God, a triune God who's three in one. He's our creator, our sustainer, and our helper. He sent his only son for our salvation. But as we move forward in this Advent series, we're going to look at Advent as a building block. So last week was hope. That's our foundation. This week, we're going to look at peace. Next week, Jamin's going to bring joy. And then we're going to culminate this series at the Kessler on the 24th, learning about love and truth. So last week was hope. That's our foundation. Everything has to be derived from hope that comes from a sovereign God. Because I promise you this, if your hope is not foundationally set in God, there can be no peace. Today we look at peace. Without the foundation of God's hope, which is Christ, there can be no peace. But peace, like hope, is overused and under underexplained in our culture. We yearn for peace. I know, like I said, generationally, um, everyone has a different context of how they look at things. Example, this mic. But also, peace. I grew up, uh, when I was a child, it was Desert Storm. That prolonged into like some issues with Kuwait. And as we move forward, uh, there's always been a yearning for peace in the Middle East. And that's no, that's no different today. You can turn on the news and see how we're, we're desperately desiring peace over there. And I think we just say, peace, peace, peace. We desire, we desire no no war. We desire um, harmony and unity. Peace is described by Webster as freedom from disturbance, some form of quiet or tranquility, freedom from the assertion of war and violence, or lastly, just a mental calm or security. Peace is always desired, but peace always comes at a price. And today I want us to look and I want us to, to dwell in the fact that there was peace, that peace was broken, that peace was restored and how that applies to our day, how that applies to our life every day. So it's really important um, that uh, for the next few minutes, you just don't so uh, don't worry so much with staying with exactly where I say scripturally. We're going to move everywhere around. I will give you the time uh, to turn to the Bible, uh, to the verses as we come to them. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one next to you. But some of them I'm just going to have to go through because we're going to cover the totality of scripture tonight because I believe fervently for you to understand the hope of God and for you to understand the peace of God, we got to hit this thing, Genesis to Revelation, and we're literally going to do it tonight. It's going to be like some some trivia. There will be stars and candy given out. Uh, It's going to be great. And uh, I'm really excited because I'm a big proponent that 
obviously this is the inherent word of God. It stands on its own. Each book stands on its own. But as beautiful as the Gospels are, and as beautiful as um, as, as Christmas and Easter is, I, I personally think that, that Matthew, Luke, uh, uh, Mark, and John only make uh, the full amount of sense and, and applicableness they can is when you understand the Old Testament. And we, like, so, so the sacrificial lamb of Christ on the cross really makes the most sense when you understand Leviticus. And we're going to pour through that. We're going to talk about where that peace started, how that peace was fractured, and then more beautifully, how that peace was restored. So in the beginning, that's how you start, right? In the beginning, Genesis 1, God created everything. Everything was good. We look in Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. It was good. There was peace. He made everything to live in harmony. He created man, woman, beast, fish, earth, heaven. Everything was good and it walked in harmony. And it's, it's, I can't even fathom the idea of walking alongside your creator and your sustainer. And I mean, spiritually, it's hard daily for us to do it, right? Sometimes it's hard for us to do it. Adam literally did it. He walked with God in the garden. There's no more beautiful imagery of peace than walking with your creator. Sadly, in Genesis 3, there was a fall. There was a fracture from peace. Adam and Eve ate from the tree. And because of that, there was a fracture of peace. There was removal from the presence of God. Adam no longer walked with God in the garden. There were numerous consequences because of that fall, death, sin, fractured world, broken world, depravity of man. In chapter 3, verses 24, he being God drove out man. He drove out Adam and Eve out of the east of the garden and Eden and placed the sheriff and flaming sword and turning all, the way, all around the garden to guard it. So what he said, he drove them out of the garden. He drove them out of the presence of God and forever fracturing that peace and removing him. Not forever. That's bad. But for that time, uh, removing them from the peace. He also put something to guard there because they were not welcome back. Moving through Genesis, then we see the name Abraham pop up. He, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. And forever, I never understood what the big deal with Abraham was. I would read scripture and I really, where my, where my heart yearns is Old Testament. I'm an Old Testament guy. I love the stories. I love the, the structure and how everything leads and builds and builds. But I never got like, man, this guy Abraham, he just picked him and everything kind of popped off and it was great. But what's beautiful about Abraham's story is through Abraham came Israel and through Israel, God's plan for restoration. So every time you hear in the New Testament saying, we're going we're gonna to give props to Abraham, we're going to give props to Abraham, 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 Father Abraham had many sons, sons right? So you're like, man, this guy has so much to do with the reconciliation because he was a faithful, righteous man. And through God, he said, out of you, I will build the nation of Israel. And out of the nation of Israel is the lineage of David. Now the lineage of David will be our Messiah. So through Abraham, through Israel, we have a promised Messiah. But before the Messiah could come, God instituted Mosaic law. He required blood. And I remember reading about all of the old time, uh, all the Levitical sacrifices and all of that and thinking, man, blood had to run all the time. There is a there's a sacrifice or a burning for every type of sin. It was it was a, a beautiful representation of what was needed. The writer of Hebrew pins it best in chapter 10 where he says, For the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. 
It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Which is saying, hey, these sacrifices aren't really atoning for sin. They're a microcosm of what is needed. Mosaic law wasn't instituted to actually mend that peace. Mosaic law was instituted to point the nation of Israel to what would for one day forever make peace again. He's saying, I don't need the blood of bulls. I need you to realize that blood is needed. I don't need you to kill a dove. A dove at the end of the day doesn't wipe away sin. But I need you in the constant mindset of understanding the things you do cost their cost something in their life. The things and the way you live your life ultimately have to be atoned by the blood. Chapter 10, verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to wipe away sin. So Mosaic law was instituted not because God thought maybe bulls may cut it. Mosaic law, uh, Levitical law was instituted because the nation of Israel had to get in a constant mindset that everything I do, everything I am, the sin nature that's inside of me has to be atoned for. Then scooting forward, as Joe just read, we see Luke, that promised Savior, that that once and for all high priest, the sacrificial lamb whose blood one day will atone for everything is promised. And in Luke 2, 7, the birth of Christ is a culmination of that promise. I promised a a Messiah to you. I promised a healing lamb. I promised the great high priest. And here he is in the form of man. Christ was born, but he was born to die. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in accordance with Scripture, and he rose again from the dead, conquering hell in the grave. And Christ re, uh, reformed that peace. He ushered in reconciliation. Peace was restored. And I know that's a lot. We just really walked through about 225 to 3,000 years of theology and doctrine. And we did it in like seven minutes. So I'm really proud of you. And some of you are like, man, get to the Gospels. This Leviticus, Leviticus stuff is killing me. I, pro- I promise you the beauty of the sacrificial cross is only made known when you understand there were years and years and years where believers were just killing bulls and thinking, man, blood is running everywhere. And it was an imagery thing. It was, it was a smell thing. Can you imagine the temple where they're saying, all we're, do is killing, all we're doing is killing these animals. And I feel like the same kind of person. I don't know if this is actually doing anything. But yet living their life out in accordance to Scripture, saying, I will faithfully follow Mosaic law. I will faithfully, faithfully follow God's will until peace one day can be restored by a promised Messiah. But that peace is hard for us to fathom. I know for me it's hard for us to fathom. I think I, I get that peace up here. It makes sense, right? The bulls, they didn't count for anything. They were just a foreshadowing of things to come. Christ came. He lived the life promised. He fulfilled over 210 messianic prophecies through his birth, death, and resurrection, conquering hell and the grave. I get that. I can learn that. But taking hold of that peace, actually understanding that, that God, three in one, came to this earth and died for me, died for Tim Browntree, a wretched, wretched sinner. That's hard for me to fathom sometimes, mostly because I think, man, I don't deserve that kind of peace. 
I don't deserve that kind of love. In Romans 5, 6 through 11, we, we, we find out we, when we were weak, when we were at our worst, when we were enemies of God, Christ came down and died for us, ushering in res- restoration and reconciliation. I mean, he is li- allowing us to live in harmony with God. It's hard for me a lot of times to say, I understand it with my mind, but my heart's saying that kind of peace. I don't know if I can walk in that kind of peace. I don't think I deserve that kind of peace. I'm too broken. Pastor Tim, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of jerk I am to my wife. You don't know how crappy of a wife or a husband or a mother I am to my kids. You don't know what I say about people in the car when they cut me off. You don't know what I say about people when they make me mad. And when I get mad or I get frustrated or when things don't go my way, I don't stand on a mountaintop. Type, type. I'm being tongue-tied, sorry. I don't stand on a mountaintop and sing Hosanna and say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Man, I curse my creator. I get mad. I get angry that things aren't going my way. I'm a wretched sinner that can't fathom that kind of love that leads to that kind of peace. Well, lucky for you, Paul wrote something for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what it's saying is that kind of peace that's ushered in, that kind of peace that, that defies all logic, defies all reason, sorry, reasonableness, is what he says he is because it's a Christ who defies all logic. It's a, it's a Christ who is willing to die for you. And the old you is passed away. I am standing up here in front of you saying, it is hard to fathom that peace, but that's okay. You don't want a peace from a God that you can fathom. That kind of peace scares me because I'm not that smart. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to put some things together that are really going to astound anyone. I'm not a, a world-renowned theologian. I'm telling you that Scripture says the old you has passed away. Verse 18, all this is from God, whom through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So when there was a day when man was ushered out of the garden, those days have now been mended. Now there is reconciliation. Now there is harmony with God through our Christ Savior. It's a peace that passes all understanding. The old has passed away. Despite what you believe about yourself, there is nothing you can do to disqualify yourself from this peace. And I know you're saying, you don't know the darkness in your heart. I don't. But I know what Scripture says, and I know that anyone that puts anything in your head that says you can't fathom this peace, nor do you deserve it, is spitting lies. Because there is inherent truth here, and anyone that tells you different is the author of lies. Look at Colossians 19, or sorry, 1, 19 through 22. Paul pins it even better. He, being Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether the thorns or dominions or rulers or authorities. So here's saying, this is Christ and he is preeminent over all. All things were created through him and for him. And in and he is before all things and he is all things, holds them together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. So he's saying this Christ, this Savior, this person who instituted this peace is our sovereign God. He is part of the Trinity. He is who he was promised to be. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That is where we find our hope. That is where we find our peace. When we say, I don't know if I can have peace. I don't know if I understand peace. And I don't know if I'm worthy of peace. Christ died for you and made peace by the blood of the cross. So there's two kinds of pieces, though, I want us to talk about. There's universal, eternal peace, and that's salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He came down. This is really important. We talk every day like everyone in here is saved. And I pray that to be true, but I don't know if that is true. So I want us to understand every time we talk about peace and salvation, you understand the the eternal peace, the universal peace comes from our Savior Jesus Christ. Our promised Messiah came in the form of a baby from Mary, lived a perfect life in accordance to Scripture, fulfilled over 210 messianic prophecies, Proving that God cannot lie and He is who He says He is. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross according to Scripture. He died, conquered hell in the grave, and three days later rose again. He also will come again and make all things new. That is what we believe. That is our messianic Savior. There's a peace... That, that fracturedness that we are now able to come to God. We're able now to walk alongside God in the form of the Holy Spirit. And one day we will uh, sit beside God in worship in a, in a new Jerusalem, a new Zion. But there's a second tier piece. There's like, I guess, a capital P and a lowercase p. There's also a piece that passes understanding that Paul writes about a lot. And those pieces, those pieces are intertwined. You cannot have a peace that passes understanding on a daily basis unless you have a peace that conquers hell and the grave. Does that make sense? You can say, man, I, I, I understand um, that God's there. He's sovereign. He can comfort me. But I don't fully understand the salvation it takes to get there. I'm telling you, you can't have one without the other. Peace on your daily life. The peace that passes understanding comes from that sin, that peace uh, being fractured and then restored. One piece leads to the other. And we talked about it a few weeks ago when we were walking through Thanksgiving. When Christ offers us a peace that passes understanding, that's not Him bragging to you about what He can do for you. That's Him saying, there's going to come a day when the only thing that's going to get you up in the morning is peace that passes understanding. And when you need it, it's there. When you understand that, hey, my life is going down in flames around me and the only thing that can get me out of bed, the only thing that can keep me focused on the things I'm supposed to be focused on is understanding there's two pieces. One, that I am a son or daughter of God who has salvation offered by Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And through that peace, I understand that there is a sovereign God who cares for me, who loves for me, who sent his helper for me to walk alongside me each day and grant me peace that passes understanding. And I don't know where you're at right now, but there are a lot of days in my life that I think it has to pass understanding because there's no way anything I can rationally understand is actually going to help me today. That's how bad things feel. When you think anything that actually makes sense isn't going to cut it. Because I understand logic. I'm a logical person. I'm too logical. We've had some arguments in the Roundtree family where my wife wishes I was less logical and less rational. I'm just a pragmatic person. I see things and I like playing uh, I like playing chess when other people are playing checkers. Like I just say, let's walk five steps ahead. And I'm telling you, that lifestyle is self-dependent on yourself. I'm putting hope too many times in myself and that's where no peace is found. You have to understand that peace that passes understanding is promised because that's the only kind of peace that actually exists. Now, peace that passes understanding means that, that, a, that a God who is sovereign would send his only son 
that the world may stop living in a, fr a fractured, broken world and be reunited with its creator and its savior. Otherwise, I want us to also know that we, we have that individual peace as Christ has offered it to us. We have, that, we have that universal peace, but there can never be peace without the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately what Advent is, is, is pointing to. So we're looking at Advent, and I think, think Tim, you're not talking about the manger enough. And I, I, I implore you to say, man, that's all I've been talking about. Like, that, that, this is it. We're talking about the manger. The manger was a stepping stone. It was one more fulfilled promise in a long line of fulfilled promises by God who cares and loves you. It's a, it's a long line of sequences and, and fulfilled prophecies and promises kept by God who says, I'm going to lead you to the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, peace is generally followed after war. That's hard for us to stomach sometimes. A lot of times where we've gotten in trouble as, as, as people or as a country is we want peace, but we don't want the bloodshed of war. And I'm not here to like make a political statement or even really a historical statement. I'm just saying generally one follows the other. And that's true for our salvation. We do have peace, but there was a war that cost our Savior his life. He conquered hell in the grave, but the blood that he shed was atoning and forever. Christ died for us. He was born to die, but he was born through Advent, saying, God, God sent his son once, and he will send his son again to make all things new. So I want us tonight to take the peace that Christ died for, and I want us to rest in the peace that the Holy Spirit walks in us. And here in a second, we're going to have uh, communion. Um, and it's a beautiful depiction of what we, uh, what we do as the body of Christ, understanding the peace and what it cost our Savior. As it, it cost the, His blood and His broken body. And we say, as we walk down this aisle, I don't want it to ever be something that's just a rhythmic um, sequence of events. Yes, it's the end of the service. It's time to do communion. I pray that that's never what it is. But it's a time for us to focus on that peace, that peace that comes comes from substitutional atonement where it says, I understand what God gave up for me. I understand what Christ did for me. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And as I take this time to just focus on that, I hope that it sets me up to be in the right mind and intentionally focusing on Advent. But here's the secret about Advent. All the things we're going to cover are true in July. They're true in May. They're true in August. These are tenets of our faith. We're talking about hope. Peace, joy, truth, and love. I love speaking about this one. It's kind of like teeing it up. I just get to sit up here, talk about my favorite scriptures, walk around, get passionate. I'd get more passionate right now, but I have like three and a half minutes left in my voice. But I'm going to use them. Um, and I think I'm laughing. I'm, I got, now, now it's two and a half. But it's, it's a time in our life where we can refocus, but we're not reinventing. I don't like gimmicks. If, if you've noticed anything about um, the way I lead this church, some could talk about it in the realm of boring. Um, I don't have a, a lot of arguments to that. I would like to say that I'm not boring um, because no one wants to refer to themselves as that, but I don't have a lot of evidence to tell you that I'm not boring. So I guess you kind of just got to know who you are. And I'm not a gimmicky guy. And right, wrong, or indifferent, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm not a gimmicky guy. So when we learn about Advent, we're really just learning about the tenets of our faith that are true 365 days a year. I don't know a crazy new way to throw the scripture at you. And you'd be like, oh, damn, I never thought of that. I'm just like, no, he died for your sin. He rose again. It's going to be sweet. Let's talk about him some more. 
Like that's that's where I'm at. That's where I want us to be at. I want us to say like, hey, these tenets of Advent, this 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 movement of uh, communion, these are all things that are applicable every day of my life because they're promises from a Savior. They're promises from a sovereign God. They're help from the Holy Spirit. I appreciate tonight uh, you showing up and letting us dive into God's Word. I'm really excited about Advent. I'm really excited to learn next week about the joy that comes from Advent. And I hope that you will join us same place, same time. And I'm really excited where we get to dive in to Oak Cliff and show them Advent through uh, the Kessler on the 24th. Let me pray over us as we come up and share. God, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to um, just bask in the freedom that is your salvation and your atoning blood. God, I pray that we never lose sight of that. I know Advent is a beautiful time where we get to step into space culturally that we don't normally have. And we get to say, hey, the, the reason for this season is not presence. It's not color-coordinated lights. It's not anything other than understanding that a, a Savior was promised and a Savior was delivered. God, I pray that we live our lives like that 365 days a year that we live in between the two realities of Advent, that we already look back at what has been done, but we not yet look at what will be done again. Christ is coming back to make all things new, and until then, He offers us a peace of salvation and a peace that passes understanding. God, I pray everything in Your name, solely Deo Gloria. Amen.